I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And you're listening to Tales from Wisteria Lane. The podcast where we give a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. Hello and welcome back to Tales from Wisteria Lane. I'm your hostess with the mostess, Billy Ray. And I am your hostess with the leastest, Joel. You were unprepared for that. I was unprepared for that. <laughs> and we are back in your ears. It's been another week, and today we're doing episode 19 of season one, Live Alone and Like It. Yes. I'm very happy. I've got my pink drink. With it's ice, it's going to keep clinking. I know. People wish they could be me right now. Like, after all of this effort of literally surrounding ourselves with so much rubbish that we can't actually move from these seats to protect from the sound, and we've literally got the ice clinking in the glass right in front. But it's, it's a beautiful sunny afternoon. We have to be summery. <laughs> we don't have to be summary. <laughs> in this episode, I'm going to be doing the outline. Joel's going to be doing the facts, the trivia, the fun tidbits, all that sort of stuff. Yes. Do you have anything to get started before, before we do it? Sure. So this episode is written by Jenna Bands and directed by Arlene Sanford and it aired on the 17th of April 2005. The episode title, Live Alone and Like It, comes from the Stephen Sondheim song of the same name from the 1990 film Dick Tracy, which itself is a reference to the 1936 Marjorie Hill's lifestyle guidebook for single women. Okay. What can you tell me about the song? So, well, I had listened to the song a couple of times. I've not watched Dick Tracy, although I've heard an awful lot about it. So, if my interpretation of the song is incorrect, then call me out on social media or whatever. But... Don't encourage that. (laughs) No, call me out so I can learn. It's education. You're wrong. You suck. No, don't call me out like that. (laughs) There's the good way of calling out and the bad way of calling out. (laughs) So, the version that I watched was on YouTube and it was sung by John Barrowman. What? Sung by John Barrowman. He's a theatre actor. Okay. We just know, you just know from like Torchwood Doctor Who. I mean, that's all I know him from as well, but I know he's a theatre actor. Okay. And it seems to be about someone that lives alone and likes it. No way. No way. So from my initial mentality from the title is, you know, oh, you're going to live alone and you're going to like it. You're going to do this and you're going to like it because I tell you to like it. But in the actual song, it very much seems like he's living a like a reclusive lifestyle and that gives him freedom to do whatever he wants because he doesn't have to run it past anyone else. He doesn't have to speak to anyone else about it. He can literally just make his own decision and run with it because he's living alone and he is loving it or okay. liking it. Well then, we'll go, we'll go through the episode and we'll um, we'll see what we think about that and how it relates. Yes. What else do you have? The Hungarian title stands for Enjoy the Loneliness, or translates to, should I say. And the Italian title translates to The Pleasure of Loneliness. <laughs> the episode was originally titled An Unexpected Song, which comes from the Andrew Lloyd Webber's play Song and Dance. Oh, I like that. Obviously it didn't go ahead. That was the original title that they scrapped. And there was a scene in this episode where Edie was basically supposed to talk to Paul and tell him that he was a bad kisser. Oh. <laughs> uh, but it got cut for time as Edie's scenes tend to get cut for time. Oh, guys, you could have squeezed it in there. You really could have. That would have been funny. And the scene where Bree has Reverend Sykes over for dinner is taken from Mark Cherry's own experience of coming out to his mother, who made him do Christian counselling. Oh, God. Oh, that's awkward. I believe he's got a fairly, you know, decent relationship with his mother now, so it all seemed to work out, but... It was a different time. It was a different time. And obviously it would be dramatised. Is Dick Tracy the one about the detective and it's really colourful? I do not know. Because I swear, I remember when I was young that there was a Dick Tracy comic in the house. I don't know if it was my brother's or something, but I feel like I remember there was a yellow outline and he had a yellow coat, like a long detective coat, and it was just a very colourful film and a colourful comic book. Yeah, okay, stylish film adaption of the comic book. It is that, yeah. I, I, I knew I remember that when I was little. Yeah, the yellow coat and everything. Dick Tracy take on gangster boss Big Boy Caprice and his band of menacing monsters. Yeah, I think it's meant, it's not meant to be a very serious thing. No. So, previously on Desperate Housewives, Carlos violently forces Gabby to sign a post-nup, leading her to cheat with John again. Mike is arrested and bailed out of jail by rich dying man Noah, 
and Andrew came out as gay to Brie and Rex, which seems to make Brie uncomfortable. Just a little bit. And we're going to explore all of these things. Yes. So, Lynette daydreams that Karen McCluskey would drop dead and another family with cute kids would move in. And that's just the best first sentence that I've ever had for this. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's pretty much it, in a nutshell. They'd all become friends, and their kids would get married. McCluskey interrupts her daydreams by passively-aggressively stealing Lynette's trash cans. And again, I just said passively-aggressively, didn't I? You did! Passive-aggressively, Billy Ray. (laughs) They argue, and as Karen starts to walk back home, she collapses, and Lynette ponders whether or not to leave her to die so that her dream neighbours could potentially move in one day. But she decides that the best thing to do is call an ambulance and go to the hospital with Karen instead. Yeah, eventually. Well, well, begrudgingly go to the hospital. Yeah. It took some convincing. (laughs) Like, honestly, this is not a good opening for Lynette. It's a good opening for us. It's hilarious. But it is not a good opening for Lynette. It is funny. We don't wish death on people, Lynette. It's not cute. Are you kidding? I'm not kidding anybody. I never wish death on a person. That's just tempting fate. It's more like you're wishing for nature to take its course. No, that is not what Lynette is wishing for. <laughs> Lynette was literally wishing that Karen would keel over and die. <laughs> like, those are the exact words. I think we've all um, had this kind of relationship with a neighbour though, haven't we? Not to this degree necessarily, but this is a relatable topic, isn't it? It is a relatable topic. You know, you can't choose your neighbours. And that's what it ultimately comes down to. We then get the title sequence. And following this, Noah is sitting in a graveyard mourning his daughter Deirdre when Mike walks up to him. He tells Mike that they found Deirdre's dismembered body in a kid's toy chest because suddenly this is not Desperate Housewives, it's like NCIS Fairview. You're just telling it how a TI is, aren't you? Now she found a dismembered body. <laughs> I was, I'm just using his words. <laughs> Noah tells Mike to talk to a cop called Sullivan, who's the man that got him out of jail in the first place, to get some leads. It's all very shady. Yeah. Shady. Sullivan is the person that Noah paid off to get Mike out of jail for the murder of Martha. And Noah is the old man that we like, who's dying, eats lots of desserts. And, and complains about like children's kids. laughter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Noah isn't exactly the most likeable character. We like him. I think he's great. But when he's just a middle-aged, rich white man that believes that his money can, get, can solve any problem. <laughs> and that isn't necessarily the most likeable character. But when you see him trying to stop himself from breaking down because they've finally found his daughter and he spent the past 15 years looking for her and she's been dead the whole time. In a really it, horrible way. Yeah, right? it just sort of breaks your heart. He's also, strangely enough, the least problematic character. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's probably one of the most relatable. Hates kids, loves desserts. Who doesn't? Following on from that, we've got some... Very strange gay phobia from Brie. Yeah. <laughs> so Brie and Rex show up at Camp Hennessy, hate the name, to take Andrew home. And Brie worries that, because Brie worries that he'll, what he'll get up to with 200 other boys in the camp now that she knows that he's gay. Mm. Because everyone's gay here. Rex tells Brie they need to be cool about it, but Brie is clearly not as cool as she thinks she is. Saying, Andrew, I would love you even if you are a murderer. Best line ever. Yeah. That's what I'm going to be saying to my children. They don't even need to be gay. I'm just going to say it straight up to them. Every night before I go, they go to sleep, I'll love you even if you were a murderer. What are you trying to say, Brie? <laughs> Come on. Rex doesn't seem to think it's a good idea to take him out of the camp. And I kind of agree with him because Andrew has all these like podunk hillbilly boys to roll around with. And who doesn't love a southerner? Podunk? Yeah, they're like pro- they'll be all like podunk and like... What's podunk? Podunk's like hillbilly, white trash. Like, oh. you, that, that's what all the, the boys that are at this behavioural camp will pretty much be like. Let's face it, it's a behavioural camp. Bit scary. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, so he, just let Andrew to... experiment. But I mean, the point is that he's there to sort out his attitude, isn't he? And yeah. His behavior. And, and this you might... can't just pull him out and think he's going to be better. No, that yeah, they're only pulling him out because Bree doesn't want him, you know, Can being you around other guys. But at the same time, let him experiment while he's not in your house, Bree. <laughs> 
You need to stop saying that because it's not going to happen. What? She's not just going to let him experiment anyway. No, I know, but I'm just saying, Brie, let him experiment. Like, at least Rex is being honest with the fact that he isn't crazy about the idea of Andrew being homosexual, but ultimately it's their son and he will do what he needs to do to make sure his son is happy and he will get over whatever he needs to get over to make sure his son is happy. And Brie is not so accepting. Yeah. It makes me appreciate the fact that I didn't have a hard time coming out. Yeah. Like, everyone just sort of knew before I did. So by the time I was ready to actually come out, they were just like, yeah. (laughs) So Susan has to march up to the ice cream van to stop her mum from flirting with the ice cream man. Susan doesn't think she should be moving on from Morty so soon, but Sophie thinks they should go out and have fun and pretend to be far younger than they really are, saying that she could be, she could pretend she's 42 and Susan could pull off 28. As someone that is rounding on the age of 28, no offence Terry Hatcher, but you cannot pull off the 28. (laughs) <laughs> like if, if you can pull off 28 what i can clearly pull off 17 i mean she's gorgeous but 28 that's a stretch <laughs> 28 is a massive stretch but i can see why the ice cream man there's something massively weird about susan's mum flirting with the ice cream man like it's just it, he's an ice cream man it's just a little bit weird well, but, that's what susan said yeah i know yeah and it is just weird it makes me uncomfortable but i can see why the ice cream man was flirting with sophie because sophie did look great in this scene oh sophie's gorgeous like though. she is absolutely stunning and the outfit that she wore just like really complimented her figure it was great having sophie on the show is so good she's so funny she's like a a ditzier susan yeah that doesn't seem to have any beef with anyone it's fun to watch their dynamic just watching susan be embarrassed by her mum yeah because i imagine this is how judy feels exactly it's kind of like Julie must love it. It's a little role reversal for Julie. I'm sure Julie... We haven't had any Julie. Julie's had one line in the last episode. Well, because she's got her mum, but then she's got her mum's mum. She's very hiding. Probably. Like, She'd probably run off to her dad's. She's just hiding away and letting this train roll by and do its thing yeah. before she can come back out and he- hold her head up high again. <laughs> yeah, probably. Because this must be quite shameful. <laughs> Karen brings Lynette a lamp to say thank you for taking her to the hospital and then gives her a hug, much to Lynette's utter shock. Karen then walks in and begins rambling about doctors, and then it realises that they've basically become friends. I, first of all, don't mind that lamp. I love that lamp. I mean, it's not the greatest lamp I've ever seen, but it's certainly not hideous. And if it truly is Tiffany, that is an expensive lamp. Well, it's green, and I like green, for Um, one thing. And it looks kind of like, it just looks crystally and shardy and kind of cool. Yeah, and it's got like grapes or olives on it. Like, not real actual ones, but like the image. I like grapes or olives. Oh, sorry. That was my drink. The image of like grapes or olives or something. Um... Lynette is Mrs. McCluskey in 10 years' time. Oh my God. So I don't get <laughs> why they aren't friends. Because Mrs. McCluskey, from this moment on, is like sweet and she's sassy. And she's clearly there just trying to thank Lynette. You think she's sweet? She's just there trying to thank Lynette for saving her life because she OD'd on her arthritis medication. And Lynette just doesn't seem to want anything to do with it. Lynette seems to clearly be feeling... Well, I know, but you should still just, you know, accept it and be nice. But Lynette's quite standoffish towards her. And Lynette, from my point of view, looks like she kind of regrets saving Karen's life. Yeah, definitely. It's really cute because I think Karen's seen this opportunity to actually get a friend on the lane now. Yeah. I mean, we know know in the future that she has friends on the lane. But at the moment, we haven't seen her with anyone else. So all we can think is she's that reclusive old lady that no one likes. Yeah. And it's just, you know, someone saved her life and she wants to thank her and someone seems to care. I kind of feel like it makes Lynette a little bit more unlikable just because we've already seen a vulnerable side of Mrs. McCluskey in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. In a previous episode, you know, when we learned about her son and everything. So Yeah, and she was kind to the kids. Yeah, ish. so Lynette kind of being standoffish makes me dislike her a little bit right now. Mm. Even though if I do understand it. <laughs> well, yeah, because Lynette wasn't there. So Lynette doesn't know anything about Mrs. McCluskey. Mrs. McCluskey. But that's sort of the point, Lynette. You don't know anything about this woman. 
So you're passing judgment because she's that cranky old lady that's fed up of looking at your bins. It's my favourite story of the episode, mm. this one. <laughs> so, on to Joel's favourite. Gabby isn't letting Carlos come back to bed for how he treated her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she insists that he should tear up the post nup, but he says that he won't and instead he'll cut off her credit cards. Gabby says that if he ever hurts her again, she'll kill him. And Carlos says that if she ever leaves him for another man, then he'll kill her. I swear, this... Like, Carlos is just, I'm not proud of what I did. And then two seconds later, I'm not tearing up that post nap. Yeah, Carlos <laughs> is a bull bag. Yeah, how many times do I have to say I'm sorry? We'll tear up the post nap to prove that you're sorry, and then we can start talking about this. But yep. until you tear up that post nap, there is no evidence of your apology. Yeah. You're not really sorry. You just want to get into a bed again and stop sleeping on the you know, pull-out bed or whatever is in the other room that you're sleeping in. And you're lucky that you're given that. Mm-hmm. Their right. relationship is straight up toxic. Like, I love them, but they both sort of need to learn to treat each other with respect. Yeah. Because yeah. neither of them really respect the other one in this moment. How so. did y'all get to this point, man? Right? And Gabby's magazine looks like trash. It's like the Rosteria Lane version of Heat magazine. Oh, is it trendy again? It was, no. It was um woman's... I can't remember. I didn't write it down. It was woman's something, wasn't it? Oh, uh, yeah, I think so. So Gabby goes to John for relief, but during their makeup session, she starts to talk about how trapped she feels and also tells John to stop pretending that they have a future. Mm. <laughs> After some talk, she tells him that she isn't being much fun, so she's just going to leave. And John gives her his student cards so that she can buy some nice things, <laughs> insisting that he has plenty of money from his lawn mowing business. Because clearly, he took one look at Gabby and thought, yeah, I've got enough money to afford what you're buying. Right. I mean, Gabby might not be able to talk to Carlos or John, but at least John wants to listen to Gabby. Like, she tries to talk to John and John's answer is like, oh, you feel trap shall i open a window <laughs> so you can't really talk to either of them in a serious capacity but josh is showing some interest in her josh why did i say josh josh when john when he, when he said you want me to open a window i, I thought oh, i could have slapped him john is showing some interest in her other than the fact that she is like ddg <laughs> yeah. drop dead gorgeous but she's using John as like a sugar baby. Yeah, it's creepy. It's really gross. And you can't take the boy's credit card after he gives it to you and calls you Mrs. Solis. I know, so problematic. He's like, take my credit card. Looking after you, Mr. Solis, is my dream. And then you're like, and that's when you decide to sleep with him. He's there trying to get you to sleep with him. And you're like, I'm not much fun. I'm going to go. And then he gives you the, his credit card. And then all of a sudden you jump on him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gabby. Come on. Please. She even says... Well, he says, I've got my own business, I'm doing fine. She's like, you mow lawns. And yeah. at that moment, I thought, yeah, there you go. You've seen you've seen sense, so why go back on it? Gabby? Because he's like, he's this close. He's like really close to getting the membership at the country club oh. to like mow their lawns. And can you imagine the lawn space? Which therefore means, can you imagine the bay? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's going to be making big money. You'll be making money hand over fist. Yeah. And then you can use his card to buy your shoes and your meals. Yeah. Girl. So Karen brings Lynette avocados, hoping that they can make guacamole together. But Lynette says that she's too busy to hang out with her and drive her places. Karen seems offended that Lynette doesn't have time for her, and so Lynette gives back the lamp saying she doesn't have a place for it. Which, there's some symbolism there. Right, this is the scene. This is like the scene where it's you start to realise that Lynette's kind of rude and Karen's really just trying to... What it appears to me is Karen's trying to mend fences. Yeah. She can see that she's sort of been quite harsh on Lynette and she's been quite miserable and that grumpy old lady and Lynette has saved her and she, like, that accident could have gone one way or the other and she was lucky it went the way that it did and now she's just trying to mend fences with the woman that saved her life. Yeah, she's had near-death experience and she's at that age so she's probably seen the light. But then um, again, you should have died because you can pronounce it guacamole. <laughs> this upsets Karen who takes the lamp telling Susan that she gets the picture. Sad moment. It is a really sad moment. Mm. Oh, who pronounces it guacamole? 
Right. I, I've got an avocado tree in the back. I don't like them, and you look like the fam- kind of family that would eat guacamole. I was just about to bring that up. What 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 is she saying when she says you look like you look like the kind of family that would eat this? I don't know. <laughs> you look like you'd enjoy this because flavorful dish. It can't be racist because they're clearly white. Yeah. So she can't be making like a oh you guys look Mexican. So here you can have these avocados to make guac. But I've got no idea what she means by the kind of family. Like, there are certain types of people that love avocado. You know, I reckon that she's just making up excuses to bring her the avocados. Yeah, I don't think there's any sort of mentality as to what makes them the kind of family that like it. I think it's just very much a... She just wants to hang out with her. Yeah. Yeah. She just wants a friend. Bless her. (laughs) Susan comes downstairs to find Sophie being wooed by a man she just met when she went out. Susan takes Sophie aside to tell her that she shouldn't be bringing strange men home in the middle of the night when she's got a teenage daughter in the house, but Sophie basically says that she can do whatever she wants. She's an independent woman. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Susan then says that if he isn't out the house in five minutes, she'll tell him how old Sophie really is. This leads Sophie to see him out rather quickly. By saying sleepy bye, she goes, oh, it's time for me to go sleepy bye. And I'm just like, that's disgusting. You're like a 60, 70 year old woman. I'm assuming Susan's in her late 30s, how early old 40s. Does, how old does Sophie think she is? I don't know. So stop saying sleepy byes and talking like a baby. Right. Also, like, does Tim, that's the, that's the dude that she brought home, does Tim not have a house that you can go to? You know, one that doesn't have a teenager? like a teenager in the house Sophie's so funny but oh my god she needs to grow up it's oh my god just it's Susan's home and if I was Susan I would be completely embarrassed yeah, could you imagine if your mum was doing this if I was Tim I'd be embarrassed yeah it's awkward like you're living here with your 40 year old daughter Mike meets with Detective Sullivan who gives Mike the file on Noah's daughter Deirdre Detective Sullivan says that Mike didn't do anywhere near enough time for his crimes, and Mike turns this back on him by asking how much it takes to pay off a homicide detective. Snap. Snap, Mike. I literally wrote, oh, snap. That's one for the snap jar. (laughs) We need that little sting. Sullivan responds to this by giving Mike a little smackdown and threatening Mike if any of this gets back to him. Yeah, I mean, it was a snap. I mean, he beat your ass, Mike, but it was a snap. Yeah, he, he, he proper whacked him down, you know. But he whacked him down with Mike's back turned. I mean, like, he yelled Mike's name. And then ran up to him and like whacked him on the head as Mike was turning around. So I'm not going to remove Mike's snap because it was a pretty shady thing for Sullivan to do. It was real shady. But Sullivan really aggravates me anyway. Because he's just there like acting like he's above some sort of manslaughter and drug dealer. But he's a crooked cop that's yeah. accepting bribes to keep the people that he hates so much out of prison and on the streets. Yeah, he's acting like he's the peak of morality. Yeah, and he's just like, oh my god, you disgust me. And I'm just like, but he's right there in front of you now because of you. Yeah. <laughs> Mike's comeback was so funny though. You are not sickening. <laughs> when Mike says, Oh well how does that how much does it take to pay off a homicide detective then? You can Ooh. just imagine that meme where it's like, Oh <laughs> Gabby is at a restaurant receiving flirtatious looks from a man in a suit across the table from her. Well he's in like a suit. Yeah, he's like two tables across or something. And giving a few flirty looks right back. When the waiter comes over to inform her that her card, or John's card, his student card, was declined. When Gabby calls John about this, he informs her that his mum saw that the card had unusual activity, so he panicked and blurted out that it was stolen. Dumbass. Because his parents still sign off on the card. Right, what is that about? Oh my god. He's only, what, 17 still? Oh no, he's 18 now. So the waiter comes back to ask how she's going to pay for the meal, and Gabby looks over at the flirty, rich-looking man, and she gets an idea. This is the problem with sugar babies, is that their mums have to sign everything off. Oh, it's so embarrassing. You can't, this is why you get yourself a sugar daddy, okay? Because he's in control of everything, he doesn't need his parents to sign off on his credit card. But then again, John also went too far when he suggested that she should return the shoes. <laughs> what was it? She said, I can't speak to you when you're being like this. I can't speak to you when you're being this hysterical. Something <laughs> like that, yeah? 
Yeah, it's not a good moment. You should really have been setting some real major boundaries with John before it got to the point where you're this involved with each other. Yeah, and John should really be giving Gabby a limit. If you're going to give her a credit card, give her a limit. You know Gabby by now. You know what she's like. You've been sleeping with her for ages. I know that you're a man, but how dense are you if you thought that giving her your student card was a good idea? He just wants her. That's what it is. He wants her. And if that means she gets his money, then that's what he cares about at the moment. Because he's just a naive kid. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. So Gabby's chatting with a rich-looking flirty man who thinks her name is Tina, by the way. So <laughs> someone's been a bit shady, Gabby. I just value honesty. That's quite all right, Tina. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the conversation, he decides to pay for the meal, saying that the conversation made his day. And the waiter's giving Gabby this look like, really? And girl, the waiter's just jealous. That's why he gave her that look. Or he's... he's just jealous that he knows he can never get away with something like that. Yeah, she's just looking at the waiter like, oh, you're so angry. Because <laughs> <laughs> she got away with it. <laughs> she completely did get away with it. But I also do not know one person that would actually react that way. What, a waiter? No, um, a man. If a woman comes over to him and starts flirting with him, and she's like, oh, ha, 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 like, oh, my God, is there anything you don't do? Like, oh, my God, you know wine, you play tennis, that's so sexy. And then he asks her out, like, on a second date, pretty much, and she's like, I'm already seeing someone. And then he's just there, like, that's quite all right, I'll pay for the meal. Like, <laughs> Yeah, like, I, I, know, I know human beings and men, and I'm pretty sure that there'd be more of a reaction. There would have been way more of a reaction than just a simple, that's quite all right. I accept that. If it, that was me in that situation, I would literally turn to be like, well, what are you doing flying with me? Why are you leading me on? I mean, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Gab Gabby's being real <laughs> shady this episode. Gabby is being real shady, but girl's got, hey, girl's got wheat. Lynette signs for a parcel for Karen and decides to leave it at the doorstep and make a run for it in order not to have to talk to Karen. And this is quite odd because obviously the, the postman person comes up to Lynette like, can you sign for this? She's not answering it. And Lynette's quite surprised because she always, you know, brings in her parcels. She never leaves them out. Lynette's line is basically, isn't she home? She doesn't have a life. <laughs> <laughs> she never goes out. She never does anything. Isn't she home? She never goes anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Bless her, Lynette. She's not even around for you to hear her slagging her off. This next scene is like a highlight mm -hmm. of the episode because it's so awkward, but it's so funny. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's annoying. It's it's angering. It angers me. It doesn't paint Brie in a very good light. So Brie, Rex, and Andrew are sitting down for dinner, and Brie invites in Reverend Sykes to join them, who instantly says to Andrew, <clears throat> "So your mother tells me you've been having sexual desires for other boys." Thanks for that. Mm. <laughs> After a lot of talk about teenagers being confused, yada yada yada, Andrew tells the Reverend that he isn't confused and doesn't hate himself, and so Reverend Sykes drops it, which kind of did surprise me, but Reverend Sykes is, you know, he's an older man, he ain't got time for it, he's like, fair enough, you don't want to be conveyed, it is what it is, you carry on. No, and Reverend Sykes, so far, from the little we've seen of him, he also seems to be quite understanding, in a sense, like, there's never any forced conviction from him there's never anything that's that he's never sat there forcing you to preach about it yeah reverend sykes is the kind of guy who's like you're probably gonna go to hell for doing this but it's your life yeah <laughs> you need to want to in his words to andrew you need to want to make the change help me help you yeah yeah but he is certainly not a disciple of god when he picks fizzy water well like just plain sparkling water yeah well brie was just like oh what water do you want we've got steel or we've got bubbly and he's like oh bubbly what is what's the benefit of bubbly water it's yeah. disgusting it, it actually it, has a taste and water shouldn't have a taste it, but it tastes like bad water it tastes like pins and needles yes is what bubbly water tastes like it tastes like you get pins and needles to drink it tastes like that feeling you get when you walk into a room and you forgot what you went in there for yeah it tastes like depression mm. is it, what it tastes like it tastes like stomach cramps it's just like every single bad thought i've ever had in my life up until this moment right now has been bottled and sold to me it tastes like how i feel when i look at hawaiian style shirts 
I really don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, let's not have an argument right now. No, but we need to move on from this whole it tastes like thing we've got going. Okay. Bree judges Reverend Sykes for dropping the issue so quickly, which leads to a slight argument with Rex, with Rex stating that as long as Andrew is happy, then it's their job to support him. And I was like majorly loving Rex in the scene. Snaps for Rex. Honestly, the, the likability factor has shifted strongly shifted in this relationship. Rex and Brie really do like have a 180 flip. You can never really like one or like both at the same time. No, like you've you've got Brie at the beginning which you root for because all of a sudden we just see her husband cheating on her and asking for a divorce and mm. it sort of destroys her world and then halfway through the season actually all of a sudden we're rooting for Rex because Brie's the intolerant one and Rex is very much the loving father. Yeah. Bree then gets flustered and blurts out to Andrew that his father is into S&M, so it's no wonder he's perverted. <laughs> Much to Reverend Sykes' shock, but this does give Andrew a laugh at least. Hey, uh, judge what you want, Bree, but gays love S&M too. Yeah. Shock. And so do straights. You know, yeah. people can like S&M. People can like S&M, it doesn't matter, it's not a shock. Yeah, some people like red M&Ms, some people like the green M&Ms. We can't all like the same things, Brie. No, it's probably made the Reverend more uncomfortable than it made Andrew. Andrew Andrew's dad. Andrew's loving it. Yeah. Andrew loves that his parents have made the Reverend so uncomfortable because I, he's like, you thought this was going to go a whole other way and it's just turned right back on you, Brie. Mm-hmm. I have a few points on this scene. First of all, Brie, let's not serve the gay dude sausage if you don't want him to be gay. Are you worried that there's just too much homoerotica that Bree's inadvertently serving him here? Or yeah, <laughs> Andrew's like, "What's for dinner?" And she's like, "Oh, we're having bratwurst." And I'm just like, "So sausage, German sausage." I'm you're, you're, yeah. you're you're serving the gay kid German sausage for dinner, <laughs> whilst you're you know starting an, an intervention. I was about to say inconvention, yeah. an intervention. So, are you helping or are you hurting the situation, Bree? Where's Danielle at this big family meal? And I'm genuinely surprised that when Andrew asked Rex where Danielle was, Rex didn't just go, who? Right. Because it's been so long since we've seen her or even mentioned, like had a mention of her name. Who's she? I don't know her. And directly to Reverend Sykes right now, Andrew is attracted to men. He is not attracted to boys. Yeah, that was a cringy line. As much as you might think, gay is not a perversion. (laughs) God bless the scene Oh yeah, it's like a horrible scene to watch because it's so uncomfortable, but it's hilarious. Yeah, just watching the parents get flustered at each other. Love yeah. it. Bravo to Rex. I'm going to give an applaud to Rex there. Sophie apologises to Susan for shoving her wild romantic lifestyle in her face and says that to make up for it, she's arranged a double date for them with Tim from last night and his friend from the Box Factory. The Box Factory? I'm sorry. The Box Factory. I honestly thought that that was just like a joke from the Simpsons film or something. He works at the Box Factory. It's weird because a box is something that you don't really think gets made. As in, you don't really think about it until you think about it. Yeah, and so when she was like, oh, he's got his friend from the Box Factory, I was like, that's a real place. Yeah. But anyway, so they've set up a double date. Susan's going to go out with the guy from the box factory. Susan says to cancel the date and that she's not up for it. But the men are already on the living room sofa. Awkward. Just because you want to jump on every man that can still stand without a Zimmer frame, Sophie, doesn't mean that Susan wants to go down the same route. Oh, if I was Susan, you can just tell Susan's like... I'd kick her out. Even. I know it's your mum, but I'd kick her out. Oh, she's so frustrating. I'd be like, you don't seem to understand and respect the fact that I have a teenage daughter in this house. And because you can't seem to respect that, I need you to leave. They only just had the conversation last night about bringing men home when she's got a teenage daughter. And she thought, okay, I'll bring home two. Yeah. And also, there's nothing more awkward than a double date anyway. But when it's a double date with your mother, <laughs> like that's just even worse. 
So Lynette sees that Karen has left her parcel outside all day and discusses it with Tom, saying that she never leaves their parcels out. She she never leaves their parcels out. She never leaves her parcels out. She wonders if she should check on Karen, but Tom tells her that she's overthinking it, unhelpfully telling her, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So thanks for that, Tom, being on the fence again, as always. Yep. Lynette, go check on her. I don't mean to be a bitch, but those fajitas look really boring. <laughs> I thought they looked alright. I thought they looked awful. Like, the mints was dry. There was no, like, sauce with the mints. It was just, like, plain mints. <laughs> dry mints. So it just looked like plain mints. And then it had, like, a little bit of just standard cheese. And I was looking at it, and I was like, these fajitas look really bad, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Fair <laughs> I, enough. I, I hope that. they're fake, and you're not actually making the cast eat these fajitas, because I'd be pretty annoyed if I was at that dinner table, and I'm like, this is what I get. Right. <laughs> Lynette, just go check on her. You can't be that selfish and hate her that much that you won't even go check up on the lady across the street. Yeah. Come on, Lynette. All you're going to, all you're going to go do is knock on the door and see if she's there. You're not, like, saving her life again. You're not going to be, you know, bathing her. You're not going to have an hour-long conversation over tea and cupcakes. Just no, go check on her. No, you literally seriously. need to go over there, knock on the door, and just say, I just want to check and make sure you're okay because I've noticed your parcel's still there. I can't stop. I've got dinner. Or you could do what Karen probably used to do and take the parcel and just sort of knock and be like, I'm just taking your parcel, Karen. I assumed you didn't want it because you left it out so long. (laughs) (laughs) Or put her parcel in your bin so that when she comes over to steal your bins again, you'll find her parcel. It's there. (laughs) (laughs) Gabby walks into the bathroom to show Carlos her gorgeous new shoes while he's watching the football in the bath. And by the way, I'm using gorgeous in air quotes because I don't know, they're all right, but they're just shoes to me. I don't mean to be a bitch, but those are like the fuggliest shoes I've ever seen. I was actually about to ask you what you thought of those shoes. She's they, like, oh my gorgeous new shoes. They were hideous. These shoes suck. These shoes well, and these shoes suck. <laughs> he asks how she managed to buy new shoes because he's a very observant, controlling pumpkin. Yeah. <laughs> and she informs him that today she realised that she has options. She tells him that he's going to rip up the post up, otherwise she's going to put on her new shoes and walk out the door because she's a pretty girl and pretty girls are never lonely. That is going to be my life motto. I'm going to look in the mirror every day and say that before I go to work. I'm a pretty girl and pretty girls are never lonely. And you'll never be lonely, baby. I know. She then sashays away at the bathroom, giving off powerful queen energy like Daenerys when her dragons just roasted an army. Mm-hmm. And she's gone. Tangent. I really don't mind that football is called soccer in America, but I don't like that their version of football is called football. Our version of football is called football because your foot hits the ball, and that is the only thing that's really allowed to hit the ball within your head. But yeah, I they, mean, they I mean, call it soccer, and I'm like, that's fine. I guess soccer is well because you, you wear socks. You wear socks, and you're socking it. I guess <laughs> that is true. That but, is true. But your version of football is not football, guys. Hey, they still kick the ball in American football. Yeah, but they're allowed to use their hands. They are allowed to use their hands. It might as well. Their be version of American football is. Almost like it's, it's nearly one of the same of rugby. You might as well just call it limb ball because you're allowed to touch it with any limb. <laughs> that makes it sound like you were saying limb balls. <laughs> limb ball. Lindor. <laughs> so back to the double date. Sophie and Tim are dancing around while Tim's friend from the box factory awkwardly tries to make conversation with Susan, but she's not having any of it. Susan just wants to go to bed, but Sophie wants to go out and tell Susan that she's had enough of how crabby Susan is being. Susan then tells Sophie how different they are at handling breakups, with Sophie wanting to dance and go out and move on after Morty, while Susan feels broken and devastated after Mike. Like, Susan practically mic drops on her mum. She literally just calls her mother a slut and then walks away. She's like, Morty's just one guy in a long line of guys for you, but Mike was the one for me, mum. Why don't you get that? And then she just walks I'm like, so you're calling your mum a slut, really? Yeah, this was the 2000s when people would call people sluts. Yeah. We don't really do it nowadays, but back then, Susan's like, you don't get it, mum. I'm not a slut. (laughs) 
Right. Well, so Sophie's what? Okay, we've established she's late 50s, early 60s, and she's like, it's only 11.30. I want to go to the clubs. And I'm like, where's this woman getting all her energy from? Right, it gets to nine o'clock, and I'm like, I better get start settling down. I'm like, oh, I've still got to make lunch for tomorrow and figure out what I'm going to wear. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, poor box factory, man. Right, he wasn't aware that he was getting himself into this. No, no. But I love how the men do fight. Yeah. At the end of that scene, he's like, you were groping up for a mother. I'd be pissed <laughs> off too. <laughs> so Lynette goes into Karen's house to find that she's been struggling to open her pill pots due to the arthritis in her hands. This is when it clicks with Lynette that Karen doesn't have anyone around who can help her out. So she tells her that she's going to take her to the pharmacy tomorrow morning to get bottles that don't have child-friendly lids. Karen tells Lynette not to do her any favours out of obligation. Still a bit crabby. And Lynette says that half of her life, half of life is obligation. You have things you don't want to do, but you do them anyway. She says that they don't have to be friends but they're two human beings on the same earth who should be looking out for each other and then she leaves and takes back the lamp that karen gave her at the start of the episode mm. rebuilding bridges rebuilding bridges structural yeah. repairs yes maintenance work at what age do you stop sitting on a sofa and you move to an armchair looking at you lottie and louis because you already do it <laughs> but <laughs> what age is it more acceptable for you to be like i'm just going to move to the armchair and then never leave the armchair <laughs> I guess you just need to feel supported. You know? True, you, yeah. You need barriers. Yeah, I couldn't sit in an armchair. You couldn't? I'm, no, because I won't have you next to me. <laughs> At least on the sofa, you're next to me. Yeah, it'd feel weird now. Like, I'd be like, I'm too far away from you. Like, but I'll just like, put my arm around you or hold your hand. Lynette has finally sorted it out. Her oh. friendship with Carol. Oh, <laughs> I thought she sorted out. <laughs> I mean, Lynette is proper speaking the truth in this moment. You yeah. don't want to do half the stuff that you do, but you have to. Because you've either put it off too long, or you're going to get rodents in the house if you don't clean, or you've got to see the family members, otherwise they'll get upset with you. 98% of life is obligation. Yeah, Lynette had a strong point, and it, I, I, it took you long enough to realise this. Yeah. Bree tells Andrew about how complicated his birth was while showing him his baby photos. Aww. Oh yes, baby photos. I'm straight now. <laughs> Saying that she told the doctor to do whatever it takes to save Andrew and not worry about her life, and how when she says that she would die for him, it isn't just an expression. Andrew decides to go and eat his sandwich, but Bree urges him to get help from Reverend Sykes as she wants him to go to heaven. She's worried that she's going to go to heaven, and Andrew's not going to be there, and she'll be so lonely because all she'll have is... Ugh, Rex and uh, Daniel, Danette, whatever her name is. <laughs> For someone that couldn't survive in heaven without her son by her side, she's doing an awfully good job of keeping him away from her and her. He looks Just so, saying, he looks my so upset. Well, wouldn't you be? He's like, if, you don't think I'm going to go to heaven? If my mum turned to me, whether I believed in heaven and hell or not, if my mum turned to me and was just like, I don't believe you'll go to heaven simply because I'm gay, mm. I'd be crushed, I'd be devastated. I'd be like, I don't mind not believe in heaven, but you clearly do. And the fact that you don't think that I'm deserving of this higher plane because of my preferences, that'd break my heart. If anything, Andrew won't go to heaven because of his behaviour, <laughs> yeah. not because of the fact that he's gay. Whether Andrew is gay or straight is irrelevant now, Bree, because either way, he's going to hell. <laughs> Yeah. So, <laughs> so Andrew's upset by Bree's words, and so he decides to talk to Reverend Sykes. Yes. But this is this is the moment. You can see it in that, that drop of his face. This is that moment where he gets a bit spiteful. That you can mm. see the shift. He was already not the best, but I think this is the moment where I think he this turns is the, on Bree. The final nail in the coffin for mm. him of realization that his mother is never going to truly accept him mm. at the moment. So we'll see. But like in the baby photo, Andrew was what, four weeks old? But Bree is exactly the same age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Marsha Cross. They've just got a photo of Marsha Cross with a baby. That's probably just Marsha's baby photo from when she had a child. Yeah. Or they just like asked her to hold a baby. Yeah, here's a doll. Hold it for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie goes over to Mike's house. This was a bad idea from the start, you know? Like, Sophie's going over there to try and build bridges between, you know, her Mike and, and Susan. 
Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I, you know, my daughter's hurting. Let me see if I can salvage the situation. Bad you could, idea. You could almost accept it if she's going over to um, discuss insurance details from her <laughs> crash with Mike in the previous episode. But that's never really brought up again. So I'm assuming they decided not to settle it through insurance. The fact that she crashed into his car and then she thought, I'll sort this out. Yeah, right. She has the audacity to go over and look him in the eyes. I've I'll got no depth <laughs> perception, so I couldn't really see just how much my daughter loved you. Yeah. I'll save your relationship. Hi. <laughs> I crashed into your car. Get back to my with my I'll save your relationship. Hi, I'm the woman whose partner threw a book at her. Yeah. Anyway, Sophie goes over to Mike's house and she's shocked to find him all black and blue. But he tells her that he just fell down the stairs because there is no other lie that anyone can ever come up with. Fight club. I'm part of a fight club. (laughs) After dismissing Sophie, he looks through Deirdre's file and finds the list of people who purchased the rare toy chest and comes across Paul Young's name. (gasps) And then Paul Young's right behind him. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Like, Sophie really doesn't get the hint ever. We've seen it a couple of times in this episode where um, Susan's even tried to talk to her and be like, I'm not interested, I'm not going on a date. And Sophie's not really getting the hint. And here we see it again with Mike basically saying he's just got some bad news about someone that he really cared about and how, you know, Deirdre's dead, blah, blah, blah. And he really doesn't have time to be thinking about, you know, what could or could not be with Susan. And she's just not getting it. She's still just going on and on and on. No, she doesn't get it. She's like, you know what would make you feel better? Love. (laughs) You know what make you feel better? My daughter. Go, 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 go right now. She's, she's right over there. She's looking out the window. I can see her. Oh, Sophie. Oh, God. Such a mess. But we are, we are getting closer to people figuring, like, all of us figuring out what's happened. Yeah, Paul Young's name coming up is exciting. Yeah. Andrew goes to see Reverend Sykes, and after the Reverend tells him that he won't tell anyone about the conversation, Andrew tells him that he isn't really gay. He just wanted to get out of the camp. When Reverend Sykes asks whether or not Andrew is heterosexual or not, because he's a bit confused, Andrew implies that he's actually a little bit bisexual, maybe, or he likes a bit of both, using vanilla and chocolate ice cream as a metaphor. Ice cream analogy. Always. It's always ice cream, isn't it? Or chocolate. (laughs) I know it's the 2000s, but do we need analogies to tell people that we like both men and women? Yeah, why can't you just sort of say, I like both? That's for the audience, that was. Yeah. (laughs) Hey guys, I'm a bit bi. You know? (laughs) Bisexuality was clearly triggering for people in the noughties. It's still triggering for people now people still can't seem to get their head around the fact that people can like both the reverend's like do you like are you heterosexual or not and andrew's like i like both you like both what <laughs> both ice cream i'm asking if you're heterosexual what's happening here i like hagen and ben and jerry's it's all very confusing <laughs> he then says that when brie said he wouldn't go to heaven it made him realize how he was going to get back at her he would be the perfectly good child until one day he does something so awful that it destroys her and when that day comes then he'll know paradise Oh, that was cringy. That was real cringy. But I get it, I get it. Andrew is such an interesting character. Yeah. And I'm liking that we get to see more layers of Andrew. He's like the Maleficent of this universe. Yeah. Because first of all, he's smart as hell for making sure he was under oath before he started talking, which is smart in itself. And he's just so vindictive. I wish as a teenager, I had such a proclivity for revenge that Andrew has. Because I would have had so much fun as a teenager getting revenge on people if my mind worked the same way his did. Yeah, he's really coming out as the villain of the show right now. He is. He's just, he's so manipulative. He really has all of his mother's worst traits and they're ramped right up to like 100. Yeah, but all of her best traits as well. That's why we love him so much. <laughs> we love them both for this. Right? Oh, so good. Yeah. At the end of the episode, we see that Carlos has decided to tear up the post up. Andrew is going to church and pretending to be a good son. Susan is still pretty much ignoring Mike. Lynette is looking after Karen. And Noah is still mourning Deirdre. Yeah, I think he always will. Uh, It's been six months, move on. Right? Oh my god, it's been six months, Paul. Your wife's dead. Get over (laughs) it. Get alive. (laughs) 
And then, yeah, that's the end of the episode. Let's talk about the title. So you've heard the song um, Live Alone and Like It. What do you think this is referring to? I'm not sure if it sort of refers to um, Karen. Like very much Karen's storyline of, you know, how she's alone. And obviously she didn't go and get help when her arthritis medication was kicking, like not working. And obviously she couldn't get to the pills. And so that's why Lynette went over and Karen was all like, usually it goes away by itself. And it's very much that she's happy being alone. She's al- she's always been this way for as long as she can remember. She's comfortable with it. And she knows what she has to do oh, to get well, by. Yeah. Happy as in comfortable. Mm. Not happy as in happy. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So, and because she's comfortable with it, she's happy being alone. Yeah. So, but that's that's my take on it. I think it's a bit of a loose one. Yeah. There might be some deeper meaning in the lyrics that I just haven't heard. Maybe. But I haven't heard the song. No. So let's move on to the worst fashion choice of the episode. Oh, we're doing worst? Choices. Okay. Do you know what we did best first? I can't remember. Nor can I. I don't really think it matters. What was the best? The best. Oh, okay. We did do best first, yeah. I think so, yeah. The best outfit I'm going to give to, and it's not even anything I mentioned in this episode, actually. (laughs) I didn't get around to it. I'm giving it to Brie when she is outside the counsellor's office at Camp Hennessy with Rex, and she's wearing, like, this baby pink detective coat and it looked great i would wear the hell out of that coat that's a kind of coat that i would wear i can't remember what they're called it it, it was nice but yeah it looked like a very suave very sexy detective like female detective coat she looked badass you go girl right go on brie and um what's your pick for the worst choice of the outfits of the episode i'm going with gabby in those shoes Gabby's, oh. Gabby's getting a worst award, guys. It's finally happened. It was bound to happen at some point, wasn't it? Oh, this is a moment. This is a moment. This is a moment you should be treasuring. Season 1, episode 19, and I'm actually being unbiased towards Gabby, and this I'm giving the Tales of, from Mysteria Lane history. Right there. <laughs> I mean, I know she wasn't wearing them, but she did buy them. That therefore thinks she means they're pretty, and that therefore means she will wear them at some point, so she gets the trophy for that alone. I'm preempting her wearing them, and I'm going to give her the trophy for that. I mean, she thought they were so good that she used them for her statement, like, I'm going to put on these shoes, and I'm going to walk out that door, and I'll never be lonely. Right? There are better shoes you could put on. There are better shoes better in the world. Shoes. But they wear a chunkier heel, which means it would be easier for her to walk away. <laughs> but, wow, you need to... Oh, Jesus, gross. That's what... You have to introduce it. Do I? Yeah, you always introduce it. Oh, that's true, I do, don't I? So what do we say to that, kids? Oh, Jesus. Gross. There we go. Thank you very much, Thorgy Thor. Really appreciate it. <laughs> and what was your pick for best parent of the episode? My pick for... Best parent of the episode. Goes to Lynette at the end of the episode. And I know it sounds a bit weird, but there wasn't much to go on in terms of good parenting. But it was for her maternal instincts towards Karen. Okay. You okay. know? Yeah. I think as a mum... She's learned how to look after people. Yeah. And so I don't think she could help herself. No, ultimately she couldn't. I'm surprised she didn't give it to Rex, to be fair. Oh, yeah, he is a parent. <laughs> I know it's hard to it's hard to imagine that Rex is a parent and he's not just some, you know, S&M sex pest that just lies there. No, you're right. Um, I always, when I think of the Best Parent Awards, I always think of the mums normally because mm-hmm. they're the mains. But yeah, honestly, it would have to go to Rex. Oh, I've changed your mind. Well, 100%. He's so supportive of Andrew. And he's such a polar opposite of Brie that he just shines as this hopeful light. The only so... negative that I, th- I think Rex did in this episode was refuse to give Andrew any alcohol at that dinner. <laughs> no, I'm going to need it all. <laughs> it's the only negative. <laughs> I love that, that dinner scene so much. Mm. Their dinner scenes are good. And what is your pick for the worst parent of the episode? My pick for... Worst parent of the episode... Goes to Sophie Meyer. 
for trying to get her daughter to date a random man from the box factory, while also flirting with all of the men she comes across, which is fine in itself, but let's be honest, it's cringy in front of your daughter. It's cringy in front of your daughter, and also, you were holding up kids that just wanted to get an ice cream. Yeah, you're, you're probably wondering why I didn't give it to Brie. I am wondering why you didn't give it to Brie. I'm not mad that you gave it to Sophie, uh, but I'm wondering, yeah. And the answer is because I pretty much already gave it to her last episode for this. <laughs> that is true. So, <laughs> I don't want to be repetitive. But that is very true. Yeah, Sophie, come on. Can you not see that your daughter is uncomfortable? I guess, from this moment on, we can start including Gabby and Carlos. Oh. So even though every time that Gabby drinks, I'm like, worst parent, drinking while she's pregnant. Even though Gabby terrible. and Carlos do not know they're pregnant yet, we as an audience know that Gabby's pregnant. Mm. We just don't know who the father is. I don't think it'd be fair for me to give it to Gabby for drinking when she's pregnant if she doesn't know she's pregnant. No, she doesn't. But from, I would say from this moment on, also, we can start I'm including... I'm going to do it anyway. No. We um, can start including John, Gabby and Carlos. Yeah. At least until we know whose baby it is. So next week, we're going to be doing season one, episode 20, Fear No More. Oh my god, episode 20. We've hit the two tens mark. Christ. The big two oh. The big two zero. I can't believe it. I know, we've like, we're on more episodes than I am age now. What? What? Um, <laughs> so if you join us then, we will be back in your ears for more. Yeah. But before you go... If people want to find us on our socials, Joel, where can they find us? People can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review, and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. You can also email us. Our email is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com, and all of our artwork is done by our friend Louis, and his Instagram page is DocRedMonkDesign, and there's also a link to his Etsy page on there. He does do commissions, so if you're looking to get someone something special, homemade, handmade for Christmas or something, or if you've got some birthdays coming up, it's nice to have something a little bit more niche, a little bit kitsch. Yeah, a little bit more couture. It's a couture painting. It's couture! It's couture! It's couture! Also, it was his birthday last week, so give him a follow. Yeah. As like a belated birthday present. Or a couple of days ago, uh, on day of recording. <laughs> on day of recording, it was a couple of days ago, but for us, for the, for the time it airs, it's last week. So. so we will see you then, enjoy, and we'll be back in your ears in a week. Bye! Thank you, bye!